My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Violation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Weakness. So this week we read 37, which I'm putting in air quotes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the council hasn't ruled yet on whether that is an Animorphs book. Yeah. Um, it's The Weakness. It is The Weakness. It's a Rachel book. Of the series. It's not good. What do you think, Gray? No, it's not good. I hated it so much. And also, I'm a little bit worried that 37, no air quotes that we read last week may have ruined me for all other Animorphs books because it was very good. And then I had to read this absolute garbage and I'm uh, worried. I will say thank you. That was a very nice thing to say. But also it's kind of funny. Like I didn't read the like Canon 37 before writing the one that we sent to you. And now after reading Canon 37, I'm like, wow, I wrote like a really direct rebuttal to this book without realizing that that's yeah. what I was writing. Good point. Yeah, but I think you knew, and sorry, Greg, I think you knew that the best of the Rachel books were behind us. Oh, so I did know. Were, I did know. You were correcting for that. Yes. I remembered not liking Real 37. I remembered it being a low point. Yeah. I expected it to be a little worse than 36. It was like a whole different realm of worse. Like it was down several levels of hell. Yes. It was very deeply bad. Yeah. I don't think either of the two remaining Rachel books are this bad, but. I hope not. I don't remember them at all, but like this book is so, I don't actually hope this because I hope they have a healthy sense of perspective and are not, you know, regretting things they did 20 years ago. But if Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant were to wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and, uh, feel a deep sense of shame for letting this book enter the Animorphs canon, I don't think it would be an overreaction. That's, well, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, so the thing is, this ghostwriter also wrote book 30 and another book and later on. another book. Right? Like, so, like, it's probably not all the ghostwriter's fault. Probably not. I mean, I had a lot of problems with 30. Like, there were things that I liked, but there were also things where I was like, this is this feels weird, this doesn't feel quite like a normal Animorphs book, and also the beginning I thought was really bad. So, I don't know, I, I think maybe the ghostwriter shares some blame, but we should we should uh, find out what happened in the book, Ted. You have the delightful task of summarizing this Yeah, book. okay, I didn't prepare for this at all. I hope it'll be less than 60 seconds, because <laughs> I don't want to spend any more than that thinking about what happened in the book. I guess I'll try not to editorialize so that we can... Come back around to it. Good but luck. Good luck. Basically, this is the book where uh, Jake is out of town. So there, there's no Jake until the very end. And the Animorphs have discovered where Visor 3's new grazing ground is. And so, of course, they decide to morph cheetahs and assassinate him. They're a little worried that Jake isn't around for this important mission. But, you know, the intel is very fresh and it's going to go bad. And Visor 3 is always rotating where he's feeding. So they morph cheetahs and try and kill him. It goes about as poorly as you would expect that plan to go. And even worse, when a new type of controller shows up, a Garatron, who is a prospective member of the Council of Thirteen, he's like a weird Andalite who's really fast. And he talks really fast. And he 
beats up all the Animorphs and then lets them live as kind of like, a, I'm going to prove to Visser 3 how much, how awesome I am and how much he sucks for not taking out the Andalite bandits. So they're like, wow, that went really bad, but this guy, potential council of 13 members here, and Rachel comes up with a plan that's like, hey, why don't we go on like a shock and awe terrorism campaign, hit all of the known controller-operated businesses, beat up and threaten a bunch of people, do a lot of damage, um, make Visser 3 look really, really bad, and maybe he will no longer be in charge or he'll be punished in some way because this, like, Garatron guy is around to observe. And the other Animorphs are like, this isn't a great idea, but Jake isn't around and we have no other way of making decisions, so let's Mm -hmm. elect a leader. And Marco says, Ak should be the leader. And Rachel says, no, I should be the leader. And then instead of having a vote, Marco says, well, I know Cassie and Tobias are going (laughs) to vote for Rachel, so it doesn't matter. So Rachel becomes the leader, which means all the Animorphs listen to her way more than they ever listened to Jake. And Mm -hmm. they go on this terrorism campaign. They cause an old man to have a heart attack. I don't know. They do a lot of damage. They beat people up. Rachel sexually harasses an intern. Um, they they eventually hit the community center, which they felt was a little bit risky. And it turns out it was risky because they get caught and they, they all morph polar bear to go in and do a lot of damage. But Visser 3 morphs a gross blob that's really hot and the polar bears... <laughs> <laughs> the polar bears don't do well. And so they all have to run away, but Cassie gets captured. And so then Rachel's really mad, and she's like, she cries a lot, and she's like, woe is me. She's had this whole, like, running monologue about how she's learned about hubris in school. Um, but uh, she will, of course, not be affected by this. Um, and she keeps calling herself... A hero, a warrior, and a king, which I can't even <laughs> say with a straight face. And, yeah, but then then she, like, cries a lot, and they're like, how are we going to get Cassie back? And Rachel's like, I don't know, I quit. I'm obviously a terrible leader. And instead of saying, yeah, that's right, the other Animorphs are like, no, in this situation, we need a Rachel <laughs> plan. A plan that's so crazy, it just might work. So... They steal a private jet and crash it into a skyscraper in order to break into the Yerk pool. They do that. It wor- That plan works fine somehow. Um, and in the Yerk pool, they're all about to get captured. And Visser 3 double dares the Garatron to beat the Andalite bandits on his own. And the Garatron is super fast. So he's it's like really easy for him to beat up all the Animorphs who are there rescuing Cassie. But instead of just like killing the Andalite Bandit super fast. He's, like, showing off. And it turns out he doesn't know about snakes. So uh, Marco morphs a snake and poisons him, and he dies. And then Mr. Three is like, lol, I win, and the Animorphs fly away to fight another day. Jake shows up, and instead of... it's Instead of having a normal reaction, he says, Rachel, you did a good job. Being a leader is hard. And that's the end of the book. Oh, man. Gray, I'm so sorry that we can't tell you at the end of this episode that we made this book up. (laughs) I don't want us to have made this book up because I don't want this to have come from any of our imaginations. But also, it's just so bad. I wish we could tell you that, that it is not part of the original series. It's so bad. I don't. I don't understand how it is. So Jenny and I had several iterations on like a headcanon from what this book is like. 
Mighty Rachel somehow escaped, locked <laughs> nice Rachel in her closet, <laughs> and all the other Animorphs know. I thought maybe, like, Visser 3 hashed out this whole plan with Marco in order to embarrass the Garatron. Like, oh, is we, this fan fiction uh, yeah. that David wrote? <laughs> is this fan fiction that the Drode wrote? Did yeah. the Elemist have to insert it into canon in order to, like, preserve the timeline? Because, like, we were like, oh, yeah, this is, this is like, fan fiction that Marco would write. And we're like, no, it's too too much of, like, Rachel character assassination for Marco to write it. Like, he's he's better than that. And we're like, David. And then we're like, no. David would have had it end much worse. And there would have been a self-insert character mm-hmm. that Rachel would have been in love with. And he would have spurned her and gone off to his glorious destiny. So it's not David, but it could be the drone. We think the drone might have okay. written this. I'm totally on board with that. My theory was that they actually didn't put me and Rachel right? and I Rachel yeah. back together, and then this is just me. So this is one of the many things that's totally bizarre about the characterizations. Like it, like you said, Jenny, it's complete Rachel character assassination from start yep. to finish. But none of the other Animorphs are acting like themselves no. either. And so like, I get this weird vibe reading it where like it's almost like all the other Animorphs know that something's wrong with yes. Rachel and they don't want to tell her, right? And, like, you could read that as, like, oh, people are scared of Rachel. But it's normally, it's like those things where, like, the Animorphs are all conspiring behind yeah. her back. But we never got that reveal where it's, like, Tobias and Axe and Marco have been thought-speaking this whole time about what to do about, about Rachel. About how it turns out Rachel's reintegration didn't work and she's relapsing and now there are two personalities, like, split but in her, like, the same head. And they're, like, trying to... Just not let her find out because it might freak her out. Because they're going to fix it in a few days or something. But no, that's not the case. No. My actual legit theory for this is that the ghostwriter read 32 and based her Rachel characterization on that. I think that that's actually what happened. It's so oh, many because, passages in here. Right, because both halves of Rachel and 32 are like caricatures. Of yeah, they don't feel like a real person. Right. I mean, that doesn't explain the other characters. And... You know, in 30, we didn't see a lot of the other characters. They did feel yeah, a lot it was, realer it than this book. Yeah, it was very solo Marco. It was very much Marco, Marco's internal life. And I, I feel like I kind of want to go back and read that and see if there's stuff where they feel as horribly off as they do in this. Because this is just really bad. This was very pod people. Yeah. Every single character was making weird decisions and saying things that didn't make sense. And yeah. it all did not, it didn't hang together well. I Everything was awful. There also were several major editing errors that make me think that, like, they just wrote this in, like, two days. Yeah. They wrote it in two days and are like, oh, we have to get it out. Right. To be fair to the ghostwriter, Apple Grant has always said that they were mm-hmm. terrible, terrible editors. And mm-hmm. they they take full responsibility for the installments like this one. So I, I do suspect it was probably something like that. Yeah. There's So <laughs> the two longest sections of my notes are entitled, You and... String of question marks. <laughs> and That's about right. Several things in the string of question marks section are lines where the same character has two lines in a row. Yeah. yeah I or that. where yeah, there are these two paragraphs. I'm like, are these are these both Marco? Where it's like, look, I can't lead. Not right now. This isn't my mission. New paragraph. Look, maybe someday I'll be in charge. If I am, I'll probably screw up. I was like, they were choosing between those paragraphs and, and they I left forgot. them both in. Yeah. 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 I noticed that. It was super confusing. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was like, because also there weren't a lot of dialogue tags in that string. So I was like, who is saying what? Oh, multiple of these are Marco in a row. Okay. Yeah. There was a thing where Cassie has a surprise niece. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, no, no, no. That that was a thing. I somehow, I somehow breezed by that the first time through. And then the second time through, like flipping through my notes, I was like, wait a second. Cassie does not have a niece. Cassie That's doesn't have any siblings. Do they know what a niece is? 
Do they think it's like a cousin's child? Because that's not what a niece is. That whole section confused the absolute living daylights out of me. And I don't, I didn't understand what was happening. And I think the reason that I got so confused is that there's no break in the paragraphs, but there is a time jump. Mm. Just like sloppy montaging. Yeah. And it was very confusing. So the niece thing didn't bother me as much as everything else that was happening on that page. Understandable. Yeah. Though, right from the opening, I was like, this isn't how the books usually open. Like, they're opening in the middle of this, like, debate that they don't really go into much, and then they go off to do this action thing. I'm like, this just feels weird. Like, the narration is weird. Yeah, and it's it's like, so you have a chapter of, like, let's hit hard and fast, and then you have a chapter of, like, cheetah morphing, but again, like... There's you, an entire chapter where they morph a cheetah. Right, right, but you, you skip, like, <laughs> what the, is that? acquiring the animal. Yeah. You skip all, of, like, the logistics of it. It's, like, it's weird. It sort of fits the, like, oh, the... You know, the Animorphs have, like, an opening caper, and then they move on to the action. But It wasn't an opening not, caper. It's not that at all. Yeah. yeah. And it's, like, yeah, acquiring an animal. I mean, I did skip them acquiring the cheetah in 37, but it was, like, near the end where the action was ramping up. This is, like, the beginning. They did have an entire chapter on morphing the but cheetah. The thing is, nothing about this plan makes sense. I mean, we no. will return to this over and over, <laughs> over again, but we just had Visser where, like, they decide we'd rather have yeah. Visser free in charge. So even if Jake were around, they would not just randomly assassinate Visser 3. Yeah. They wouldn't try and get him demoted, right? The worst possible outcome would be Garatron guy runs the invasion of Earth. Yes. Right? Because he could have, if not for his stupid, hubristic restraint, <laughs> the Animorphs would have all died immediately. Yeah, Jake so maybe he would have been okay because he also has hubris and it would have been, yeah. you know, he would have been a Visser 3-esque leader. I don't know. Um, but they never all morph the same thing in a battle situation. And they, they do, do it twice. Twice, twice. twice in this book. It goes very badly the first time, and then they do it again. And it goes even worse. And, like, Cassie suggests it the second time or something. Or maybe she suggests it the first time. I don't know. I'm like, Cassie, you're better than this. Like, you know not to all be the same thing with the same weakness. Title of the book. Uh, I actually, that's not actually how the book starts. The book starts with an extended, oh. very confusing discussion <laughs> of the name Rachel. So my recent experience with this first page, when Ted was doctoring the Kindle file to put, you know, mm-hmm. my story in it. And so I was reading the page. I was like, did he change more of this? No, this doesn't sound like something Ted would write, but it also doesn't sound like an actual Animorphs book. Where did this come? <laughs> what is this? And I had to pull my hard copy off the shelf and be like, oh, no, that's the that's the real first page. It's so bad. It's vaguely misogynistic. It is. There are several misogynistic things in this book. Yes, there are. And I know that this is doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but the second paragraph... So Please we, read we should have Jeremy come back to <laughs> do his extended rant about this, but... No, no, no. His rants are never ranty enough. We need to rant for okay, him. I'm here for you because <laughs> here is what she says. My name is Rachel. There's a person in the Bible named Rachel. I don't know if my being called Rachel has anything to do with her. I doubt it. I've never seen my parents reading the Bible. Okay. (laughs) As we have established not long ago, your parents are Jewish. And the thing about that is it means they wouldn't be reading the Bible. (laughs) Seriously, right? Right. Just cannot express to you enough how lazy that is. It's... 
Okay, I don't even, I don't know if I even want to give it the credit of digging into how race is tokenistic in this series, because this book is just so bad. I feel like that's... It's the least of its problems, and yet (laughs) that is a thing that should be one of its biggest problems. But then a couple paragraphs later, she's like, you know, there are at least five Rachels in my class at school, two of which are failing gym. I'm like, what is that? What is that? I know. Is that just girls fail gym? Did they cut out a whole, like, thing where Rachel is mad because she's failing gym? (laughs) Like, was there, like, because this is, there are only 22 chapters in this book. It's like, like, it's like super short, right? So, like, was there even more bad stuff that got cut out? I have to assume. Everything about it, like, this just feels like filler. Like, let's just riff on the name Rachel for a while. (laughs) Then there are, like, four chapters of them just, like, beating up controllers. It's, like, super repetitive and samey. Like, none of it, it, it's not interesting at all. No, it doesn't really have a plot. This book doesn't really have a plot. Two of them are failing phys ed, and then she says, it's a popular name. Lots of girls have it. Even girls who can manage to throw a basketball through a hoop from the foul line. A What? (laughs) First of all, it's not called the foul line. (laughs) Why are we talking about this? Like, I don't... also, it, it Rachel would be really good at basketball. She would be so she's really tall. tall. She's also like a super talented. She's like the highest <laughs> yes. achieving animorph. She's tall and she's athletic. Good, yes, she's good at gymnastics. I'm sure I, she can handle coordination. And yeah. then a paragraph. I'm just going to continue to yell about this yes, first please page. Do. And then the next one is, I'm different from every other Rachel you've met, and it's not just because the dorkier kids at school think I have a seriously bad attitude, which I do, so what? Okay, canonically you are the best student yeah who what are you talking about <laughs> at it's all the thing, it's the thing you're dating the, one of the dirtiest <laughs> kids in your school oh no why? So true. why are you why but it's the thing from 32 where people pick up on her like vibes as her mom would say which i really liked this idea that like oh she now carries this intensity with her and people kind of read it and are a little uneasy about her that's not what this is. This is just like a exaggerated caricature of like, I don't know, kids think I have a bad attitude and I do. I hated it so, so much. I can't even express. It's just, it's not, it's not the Rachel we have seen in other books. It's no, not no. the any of the characters we've seen, no, except no. maybe Jake. But like... Even Jake. I mean, it was just, it's so bad. And the, the fact that Rachel has been, again, canonically, like the best student, right? She mm-hmm. wins awards for how smart she is made so many of the things happening in her brain completely inexplicable, not least the hubris thing, which yeah. at some point I would very much like to talk about. Do <laughs> you want to go into it now? Okay. okay. I need to put my coffee cup down in order to have this discussion. <laughs> so you don't end up throwing it? I Okay. The way that the hubris thing comes up for the first time is they have just read Oedipus Rex mm-hmm. in high mm-hmm. school. I don't remember reading that in high school, but fine, whatever. Middle school. Oh, my God. Are they in middle school? <laughs> I think they still are. They were in 30. Who even knows? We think that this is a middle school that goes through ninth grade. Yeah, because right. they must That's... be like 14 by now. Oh, my God. Okay, fine. So in English class, they studied Greek tragedies, including Oedipus Rex, written by a guy with an equally unpronounceable name. Okay. That's where I first heard the word hubris. Hubris is like a disease. It means excessive pride. <laughs> over-the-top self-confidence, the belief that you can do anything you want better than anyone else because you know best because you're special. I'm sorry, hubris is like a disease? Uh-huh. I didn't pick up on that. That's, yep. wow. Okay. That's how she describes it. 
And then the problem is, hubris usually results in some extremely nasty payback, like being so horrified when you learn that something you did was really, really wrong that you pluck out your own eyes. Okay. So, one, way to elide all of Oedipus Rex. <laughs> what you did was really, really wrong. Fine. Look, just, just, we're going to skate right past that, because again, least of the problems with this. From that description, she understands, at least... In the vaguest and simplest of terms, what hubris means. Uh-huh, she has uh-huh. given us a definition and described what it is and what the effects are. Excessive pride, bad shit. <laughs> that is what happens with hubris. Okay, fine. And she says, it kind of scared me reading about these heroes and warriors and kings. Oh, first time that comes The first up. iteration of like eight It also kind of reassured me, made me feel like I was part of a special club, Uh, one that's been around for a long time, an exclusive club, a club for people like me who know they can do great things and do them and then get punished for doing them. I, I, And this comes up again and again, and my note there was just, come on, you just define this and I know you are smart. Give me a goddamn break. You are about, and I, because I knew, I knew it was coming and it did. That she is about to say, I am special and great, and I have all this excessive self-confidence and excessive pride and over-the-top self-confidence, believing that I can do whatever I want better than anyone else. And then I'm just going to ignore the fact that that is bad. (laughs) It's not not good to be part of this special club. This special club gets you cursed by the gods. Why would you? Yeah. And then continue the theme of, look at me. I'm a hero, a warrior, a king for the rest of the book. She calls herself a god in the next paragraph. (laughs) Oh, no. People, People want their leaders to be larger than life, not subject to human frailty and weaknesses. Gods. So she is planning to be godlike for the rest of... Did she not... I don't understand how she can define hubris and then ignore it. Well, she sort of has this thing where it's like, character is destiny, which is funny because none of the characters feel like themselves in this book. But I think it's supposed to be some kind of like, yeah, hubris is dangerous. It gets people in trouble. But I guess I can't avoid it because I'm just that, like... Heroic, warrior-like, and kingly. Is it that? I don't know. (laughs) Is it, like, the thing is, it doesn't make any sense because what this is from, like, writing this story is, like, okay, well, the theme of this book is supposed to be hubris. So the way I will do that is have Rachel (laughs) do some exposition about what hubris is and then ignore it ironically, foolishly. Like, I I don't, I I also don't understand it. It's such a grandiose delusion. And it keeps coming back where she's like, I was running into this battle, you know, like a hero, a warrior, a king, you know, like, wink, you know, like, remember that thing I said about hubris? Like, it's almost like she's like ruefully recounting it afterwards. Oh, I don't know. It feels very earnest every time she says that. Yeah, it just, it's totally bizarre. It's completely bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. And like, a good example of a narcissistic, hubristic protagonist is Edris, who we saw in Visser, right? Someone who thinks the world of themselves and doesn't understand the consequences of their actions. They do not have the capacity to self-reflect and be like, oh, hubris is bad, and I sure have a come-up that's coming, and that, boy, that's great. Right? It doesn't make any sense. That's a good summary, yeah. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. No. No. No, it's real bad. <laughs> and every, it kept coming up. And every time it came up, I got more and more angry about it. And there's nothing... It's it's like importing this theme from 
Oedipus Rex, and it has nothing to do with, like, the history of the Animorphs, because, like, if Jake and Rachel had ever had one conversation about leadership, they would have gotten past this idea, right? <laughs> Rachel's like, oh, we need, we need, I need to be, like, a god to the other Animorphs. She doesn't think that about Jake, right? Like, Jake doesn't do that. None of the, no. none of the ways that the other Animorphs think about what Rachel as leader means have anything to do mm-hmm. with what their experience has been, right? Like, Yeah, they've had Jake out of commission multiple times, and it's worked really well. Like, they've figured out how to get through it. They've right. done and a really great job. Where a, was that? Jake is a good leader because he is someone they trust to make game-time decisions, and he's someone that they will obey mm-hmm. in the heat of the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Jake has always listened to Marco and Cassie and Rachel and Axe and Tobias when planning a mission. So there are multiple times when they have this whole conversation and they're like, well, I guess we don't have to plan that much because Rachel's the leader and she doesn't want to. And she's like, they were arguing with me again. And then she's like, did you, did you decide I'm the leader or did you not? Like, how dare you like gainsay me? I don't think she uses that word, but she might as well. Like, and they're like, oh, sorry, Rachel, you're right. We decided you're the leader. I'm like, that's not how leadership of the animals right, works. Right. And it's like, Cassie's like, oh, yeah, I guess we did make Rachel the leader. Oops. Like, there are nothing couple, we can yeah, do about exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. There are a couple times they're like, well, we already made this decision, so we're stuck with it. I'm like, what? Are, this only makes sense if, like, they're... It doesn't make sense. I'm just going to retract that. <laughs> but... <laughs> Like, are they trying to carefully manage Rachel? Are they afraid she's going to, like, kill them if they argue? Like, Yes, because she's only <laughs> mean Rachel. Funny. Here's my new headcam, is that the entire time Rachel is, like, holding Jake with, like, a knife to his throat <laughs> and just doesn't mention it at all. <laughs> He's, by out of town, she... <laughs> can, can I just say, when I was predicting this book... I had this whole extended prediction about, like, why Jake is out of commission. <laughs> and it turns out he's just out of town for the weekend. Yep, yep. They managed to do a lot of chaos when he's out of town for two or three days. Yeah. Can you imagine you know if what? he actually did get kidnapped by the escort? If it were a different book, it would probably be okay. Yeah. Like, it would be really rough, but they would figure out how to deal with it, and there would be interesting group dynamics, not just mean Rachel beating everyone up. Just, just so bad. Do you want to talk about how messed up all the other characterizations are? I'm sure we'll circle back to Rachel Ooh. at some point. So they have this initial conversation about who should be the leader, uh-huh. and everybody is like <laughs> living in bizarre land. Because so it comes down to I sort of buy that Jake is out of town, and like Cassie is like I don't want to be leader. Yeah, Axe that, is that's like, real. I don't want to be leader. Rachel and Marco's Margo, not going to suggest that Axe be the leader. Exactly. That is ridiculous. Completely absurd. Completely absurd. Marco would never sense. say Axe is smarter than him. And even if Axe is smarter than him in some, like, more informed in some technical ways, like... Marco is way smarter is than Axe. definitely the best planner of this group, and Marco knows it. Ludicrous. But, okay. Tobias's like, only contribution to this conversation is, like, I am no one's leader. Which is ridiculous, because I think everyone... <laughs> would think that Tobias is a great candidate to fill this role. Yes. He also is, like, the one most likely to, because of his role as, like, the eyes in the sky yeah, person. Yeah, he has the perspective of, like, right. the whole group. Right. Rachel is the worst person for that. Uh, yes. But so the fact that nobody is advocating for Tobias at all, completely ridiculous. Even if, for some reason, it had to come down to, like, between Rachel and Marco, we know that Cassie and Tobias 
would not vote for Rachel in this situation. No, they're smart. So, and so the the fact that Marco like jumps past that is obviously a way to get around the fact that Cassie and Tobias would, would not vote for that. Rachel. No. It's so ridiculous. It doesn't feel like something Marco would do, even if he somehow thought that they would vote that way. I don't know. It's, oh, it's so bad. Yeah, but it's like, how do you manufacture a situation where Rachel becomes the leader? It's like, this You is don't a, do it with these characters. Right, right, right. Like, this is like a poor, a very poor effort. Tobias in this book was so absent. They kept sidestepping conversations. Like, there's a thing right after they all vote for Rachel to be leader. She's like feeling a little insecure because Cassie and Tobias didn't actually vote for her. Marco just did this weird maneuver. And Tobias shows up. I guess they're going to leave for the mission together and starts talking about it. And she interrupts him, which is great. And it's like, do you think I'm going to be a good leader? Do you think I can do this? And he just doesn't answer. And it's like, we should leave now if we want to get to the thing. I'm like, why aren't you discussing this? And then they like never discuss it. There's this whole sense throughout the whole book that like Tobias doesn't approve of her as leader, but they never get into it. He never says anything. I honestly finished this book and was like, these two need to break up. Like, oh no! <laughs> like, these versions of the characters, which I don't think match anything we've seen in canon before this, like, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. I don't actually want them to break up, to be clear. Yeah. I want this book to be stricken from the record, is yes. what I actually want. But No, I think that's right. I mean, and the Tobias characterization is so flat that the narration has to remind us of his character <laughs> in really weird ways. So it's like... Remember, Tobias got captured and tortured. So that's why he's being like this. You're like, okay, the amount of show, of tell, don't show in this book is like really outrageous. Mm. But in the characterizations of Tobias, I found it particularly annoying. Actually, no, there was another time I found it more annoying. (laughs) Yeah, it's completely bizarre. And there's this whole thing where she's like, oh, like Tobias didn't tell me he was going to vote for me, but... Maybe that's because he wants me to think it shouldn't matter whether he was going to vote for me or not. Which is, again, like, why aren't they just talking about it? Or why isn't Tobias being like, like, he's always like, you know, Rachel, calm down or whatever. And they're always like talking to each other in private thoughts, Mm -hmm. thoughts speaking stuff. Mm -hmm. And here, like, he's like, okay, we're going into the community center. Let's make sure we don't hurt anyone. And Rachel's like, he was calling out me and that was mean. Uh, It's ridiculous. uh, It's like they... They didn't know what to do with the Rachel Tobias relationship in this one. They're like, it's kind of inconvenient. Let's just kind of shove it to the side and have Tobias never say anything to her about anything. Yeah, but there's like well, ways you can kind of say like, yeah, oh, he's not my saying boyfriend. That's a good thing like, to do. Okay. So here's here's the thing. So actually, we want the theme to be hubris is bad, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not where the book ends. <laughs> no. The theme is. Hubris is bad, unless you're Rachel, because then you can crash a private jet into a, the Yerk pool and save the day. And Jake will say, you did a good job. Oh That's my the God. theme of this book. Actually, Rachel what Jake, is a god. What Jake says is, the others think you did pretty well. To which I was like, really? They do not. They don't do that. There's no way they think that. So, I mean, that's kind of like like the end of 17, right? Is a little bit like Rachel kind of... Gets yeah, in over her yeah, head, yeah. and then she hulks out and like, yeah, being Rachel saves the day, right? That was, like I had other problems with seventeen, but I feel like that version of the story mm-hmm. had the appropriate amount of stakes that it could be like, <laughs> yes, sometimes mm-hmm. being Rachel is great. Yeah, this is ridiculous. It's it's completely bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. 
if you had the, at the end, the, we just need to go in fast and strong and just beat a bunch of people up. Rachel, you're in charge of this section. I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like when you need somebody to just go in and break shit, Rachel and Morph is the person for that. Although I still wouldn't put her in charge. No. Because she's really best at being in charge of herself. Right. That's what I would say. Like, Rachel, just go do this thing. Yeah. But, like, the the lead up to that, I just... (sighs) And I feel like there's this implication that, like, she's supposed to have grown from this experience of finding out that they, like, caused the old man to have a heart attack and Cassie getting captured, which also was really weird and logistically implausible. So it's like, you know, Marco has this sort of come to Jesus talk with her where he's like, we need you to do this. And she's like, okay. And so she goes back in. I guess she's supposed to be like more functional at this point. But this is the interaction she has with Tobias at that point. Another beat of silence. Tobias said, what are you planning to? I slammed my fist into my other hand. I plan to get Cassie out of there. Now answer my question. Everything you have on your pool entrances. Now. What? What? Yeah, okay. This reminds me. Back in the first chapter... When they're talking about how Jake isn't around and like, I feel like it's like Axe is saying something like, oh, maybe we should wait for Jake. You know, like Jake didn't want us to go on any missions or whatever. And Rachel was like, I hope he, you know, was going to stop talking soon before I popped him one. Yeah. And I was like, this like prone to violence against her friends is not no, Rachel at all. Not She's at like all. super loyal and protective of her found family. Except in 32 when she like didn't have that part of her and mean Rachel. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, she's like, yeah, sometimes I am a little, like, you know, prone to, you know, like, punching first and asking questions later. But again, not against Not her friend. No, and Axe actually says, like, this may cause you to become annoyed or something. Like, he is expecting this kind of reaction. Which, why? This isn't what we've seen from her in the last four books. I guess the last time we were in her head, they did end with electrocuting her. So maybe something... But she hasn't been acting (laughs) No, she's been normal! Yeah, 33 through 36. yeah. In in 36, she ends the book by saying she wants to go back to Atlantis oh, yeah. and bury the dead sailors. This is not the same person no, at all. No, And so most of this book is mighty Rachel or mean Rachel. And then after Cassie gets captured, you sort of switch to nice Rachel or wimpy Rachel. And she's just like sobbing and <laughs> okay, can't wait. get it together. <laughs> this is, I don't understand. I don't understand the nice Rachel scene at all. Uh, I would like to read and then demonstrate what Rachel does in this scene. <laughs> okay, so please do. She she quits and and runs away. Oh yeah, that's. <laughs> and so she runs out of the barn and then she says, "I don't know. I ran away. I don't know why, but I threw my arms up in the air and slapped them down against my thighs and tossed my head back and growled." What is this? Is she turning into a werewolf? <laughs> no, just imagine Rachel runs out of the barn and then goes. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make any sense the head I'm so sad that we're not on live stream right now and people can't see this no, that's like not that's not a thing people do like who's ever done that it doesn't work no, it's not normal body language in any way fall to your knees shake your fists at the sky beat your hands against your chest like right? yeah <laughs> Also, it, it, but the thing is, I guess this is like a little nice, Rachel, but she's like, like Marco's being super mean, which I think is also out of character, given yes. that he would be trying to save Cassie yeah, and uh, just yeah. like, be super mean to Rachel. But Rachel thinks to herself, 
man, why is everyone being so mean to me? Can't they see I'm crying? I never cry. That means I don't, like, crying is enough. I don't have to face any other consequences for what I've done. Oh my gosh, it's just... Yeah. And, the, yeah, and the way that Marco responds to that, which... So she's crying, and at one point the ghostwriter says, like, not something I made a habit of doing. <laughs> but Marco's response to her is, uh, nice, Rachel. The don't be mean to me, I'm a girl thing is pathetic. I was like, I want to strangle everyone in this book. I hate everything, everything, everything. There was also, there was some weird Cassie stuff, too. Like, no one yes. felt like themselves. There was a thing near the beginning when they're they're attacking the TV studio, and Cassie says, I can't believe we had a live audience, she says, laughing. It was more than we could have hoped for in one way. Suddenly, she didn't seem so sure. Maybe it would have been better if we'd known they were in the building, gotten them out first somehow. It's like, what a weird whiplash from Cassie. Like, first of all, it doesn't seem like her to be like, wow, we had a live audience. That's so cool. Also, the like very quick switch to like, oh, wait, I've just remembered there's a problem with that. Yeah. Doesn't feel like her or like how any of the characters ever behave in these books. No, it's so weird. I mean, and she's also feels very flat in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't have the depth of character that Cassie usually has, where she's yeah. considering people's feelings and making sure everyone kind of is, uh, she's like, che- doesn't check in on anybody. She's not trying to caretake for Rachel, but she's also just, she gets kidnapped and like, it has to be rescued. And it's like a very, why is she the damsel in the situation? It was mm, all yeah. just, I don't know. There's no depth to any of the character interactions. Like the, the scenes like don't, they could delve into stuff in interesting ways and they don't because the perspective that it's filtered through is this like, is this megalomaniacal, like not really a person character. Yeah. Yeah. It just can't go anywhere. Well, so I think the most well-characterized person in this book is Jake. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. the scene at the end, I think, is a pretty good scene. That was one of the three things I almost liked. And an ending to a completely different animal. (laughs) Yes. Yes. What happens is Jake comes back. He's like, hey, Rachel, being a leader is hard, but you did as good as you could have. Everyone survived. Everyone gets it. And then Rachel kind of calls him on it being like, how do you deal? And then Jake sort of like drops the like old soul, like grizzled veteran general persona. And she sees that he's still like a really scared kid. And the fact that... He, he could be getting his best friends killed at any time. It's like super weighing on him. And then he puts the mask back up and was like, I don't think about it. Right? Like, yeah. That's like yeah. a nice little bit of that was great. pathos mm-hmm. that the Animorphs usually deals in so well. But we didn't get, like, nothing leading up to it is connected to that feeling at all. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about how clumsy the consequences were of, like, the things that they do in this book. Like, you can kind of see what they're aiming for, right? Like, Rachel... (laughs) You can see a little bit glimmering in the distance what they might have thought they were aiming for. Where Rachel's, like, doing some, like, really reckless, like, out there stuff and then there are some consequences. But it was very... The book didn't have a good sense of what consequences were realistic or abnormal or anything like that. Like There were a lot of scenes where it's like, okay, we're going to go in. We're not going to hurt anyone. And then it's like, then Cassie slammed their heads together. Or like, Axe like, goes in and like knocks some people out. And then he's like, there's a man with a gun. I don't want to hurt him. And I'm like, what? 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 And so the two major consequence things that happen in this book are they are 
going to cause chaos in this TV studio. And everyone's like, maybe we should check it out first, see what's going on. And Rachel's like, no, no time. Are we going to spend all day talking? Let's just go in and beat everything up. And then it turns out there's a live studio audience of people who are not controllers. And one of the people in the audience, like, is an old man with a heart problem and he has a heart attack and dies. And they find this out later in the book. And like, okay, like, that's really bad. But also, you guys knew there would be people who aren't controllers here. You guys knew that even the controllers had human hosts. How is having a studio audience significantly worse than any of that? Also, you you do this kind of thing all the time. This one time, oh, there was like an elderly person with a heart issue. Like, feels so fake and like forced. And yeah, it was just very, very clumsy. And then later when it's like, Rachel tells everyone else to leave and she's going to fight Visser 3 alone. And then somehow Visser 3 starts demorphing and Rachel goes out the window and you're like, that, why? But okay. And then it turns out Cassie's still in there. I'm like, why is Cassie still in there? That doesn't make any sense. Like Rachel looked around and there wasn't anyone in there. Like this doesn't, what? Yeah. Yeah. It, also, do you know how she gets out the window when she's running away from Visser 3? She stands on a pile of hork corpses. Oh my gosh. A pile of bloody hork warriors dead and dying. Wow, I didn't even pick up on that. Yep. Because there was so much badness going on. I was on. like, don't get me wrong. I'm very sorry that the old man died. That poor guy did not know what he was getting into. But again, what are you talking about? This book is nonsense. But So this plan is basically the Animorphs being, like, the Animorphs are being terrorists. The whole plan is mm-hmm. to... Yep terrorize the city by focusing on controller owned businesses and then make sure that she talks to the head controller at each location and threatens them. So like this is breaking a lot of rules. The Animorphs never mm-hmm. talk to controllers in because they're afraid they're going to reveal that they're humans, right? She like causes one of the controllers to turn blue cuz he can't breathe, yeah. right? So like doing damage to the the human hosts, right? The human hosts are suffering here, right? Yeah. Like it's not it's not actually achieving the goals that they want, yes. right? And when they steal the jet, right, what this is is, like, the city knows that a bunch of teenagers stole a private jet. <laughs> they weren't even in Morph. I know, they weren't in Morph, and then crashed it into a skyscraper, <laughs> right? Like, presumably the authorities don't find out about the Yerk Pool, but this is, like, it's one super terrible with tons of collateral damage oh, for yeah. everybody in the city, right? Like, it's like they're not just hurting controllers by doing this. And secondly, the Yurks are going to know that a bunch of teens, <laughs> like, like, like it's, ah, it's, the Angelite bandits must have morphed into human because that was the best morph to steal a jet with. Like, no, yeah, exactly. What? It doesn't, also, it's completely absurd. Part of this is that there is a time crunch. Cassie has two hours in morph, and they're rapidly running out of time. So as they're discussing it, they have like 75 minutes left. And then they have 65 minutes left. And they decide that it's going to take too long to <laughs> get to the there. place. <laughs> so instead what they do is they break into an airport and steal a jet, which I have to imagine is going to take longer. They also didn't even fly to the airport because they show up at the airport in the like sweatshirts and jeans that they keep in Cassie's barn. Yes. So I guess they walk to this airport from Cassie's barn, yes. steal a jet, and fly to this building that would have taken them half an hour to get to in Birdmorph. Why didn't you just get there in Birdmorph? 
Also, also, we 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 gave Jake a really hard time about killing the Yurks in the jacuzzi. Uh-huh. They just crashed a jet into the Yurk pool, <laughs> killing presumably hundreds of Yurks. Like the description is it's truly horrifying. Did the jet land in the Yurk pool? Yeah. There's a lot of like weird, like the jet was falling and Rachel was falling from a not very long height, but it took her a very, very, very long I'm time gonna, to fall. I'm and she died this. at least three times during that fall. <laughs> Yeah, that would make sense if this is this is a uh, yeah all kind of like last moments of life memory. Like, <laughs> okay, down through the opening, the plane falling, spiraling down from the high domed roof of the Yerk pool. Through the thunderous rushing of sound that accompanied the hurling jet, I could make out the harrowing cries of involuntary hosts. A cry far too familiar. Gafrash, watch out! Could hear the stunted, panicked shouts of Horkbajir controllers. Could see them barely herding hosts back and away from the edge of the lead-colored pool itself. Away from the, the jet. Sploosh! Into the pool. The still-flaming body of the jet, tearing through the dull gray surface of the Yerk pool. Disappearing for a moment. Wow. The contents of the pool sizzling and sloshing and churning. Spitting up pieces of twisted metal that bobbed to the slimy, fiery surface. Hundreds, maybe thousands of Yerks were in that pool. How many were dead? How many had just been killed? Wow. Wow. They crashed a jet directly into the Yerk pool. I somehow didn't... They don't even think chaos, about it. Right? Like, yeah. It's like a huge escalation. It like... It yeah. doesn't... Th- like you were talking about consequences. Yeah. Like, this isn't even a consequence. This is like a cool thing that they did that's like super Rachel-y. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's like a parody of, of the end of Seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, ugh. Yeah, the plan to steal the jet made zero sense, time-wise or anything else. Also, uh, this must take a while. And then they get to the Yerk pool and Rachel's like, oh no, they would infest Cassie and force her to demorph. I was like, why didn't they do that an hour ago? Yep. Like, there's no way she's still uninfested. I'm half hoping that, like, next book she turns out to be a controller. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and like, okay, there is this is another thing that I thought was cool in this book, is that Cassie is, like, super injured and then... I think she demorphs and remorphs enough to yes. heal her injuries. Okay, that was cool. Which is very, which is very Cassie and cool. And like plausible given the stuff that she's been able to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. in 34 and stuff. Yeah. But then, I mean, I know you already pretty much said this in your summary, Ted. The thing where Visser 3 dares the Garatron. He's like, you take out the... Like, that was one thing that I, I sort of liked that he was like, ah, my political rival. You think it's easy to take out these, these Andalite bandits? It's not. And I was like, I like him playing with this. It's a great idea, but, but it is easy for the Garatron. He's, it would be easy, He's yes. inhumanly fast. <laughs> yes. He he starts circling Cassie like a tornado or something. I'm like, why doesn't he just slit her throat? Like, why? Like, couldn't they just have given the Garatron, like, he has to, like, you know, charge his laser and it takes 30 <laughs> seconds. So, you know, like he just happens to miss and then they only have 30 seconds left to do the snake attack. You know, like that would have been better. It could have been anything, but just like him you know. just not getting on with it despite being inhumanly fast did not work. And then he dies from the cobra poison and Vista 3 is like, aha, not so easy, is it? And Vista 3 is taunting him, like, oh no, they're getting away. Get them, Garatron. I was like, yeah, okay. I get that you'd be taunting him. That's great. But also, they're getting away. <laughs> you have them in the Yerk pool. Like, just attack them. Just shoot them. You have Dracon beans. Thank you, also, Soraya. That is good advice. <laughs> how are you going to blame Garatron 
for like the fact that a jet just crashed into the air pool. <laughs> Again, that is the thing that is going to be on Visser 3's report card. Yes. Right? Yeah. Can we please pay attention to the important things for a also, second? I said that I liked Visser 3, like, using how difficult it is to kill the Andalite bandits yeah, to... Yeah. No, I see uh, what you're saying. the Garatron. Yeah. But if he actually thinks the Garatron has a chance of succeeding, there is no way he would let the Garatron defeat the Andalite bandits that he's been fighting for, right, like, right. a year or more. Right. Like, that's not what Visser 3 does. He, want, he would want that credit. I don't. None of it makes sense. Can we talk about the several instances of sexual assault that occur in this book? Please. So there's a lot of disdain for people in general. She's so cruel. She's so cruel, which is very mean Rachel. Like, that's what we saw in her perspective. That is not part of Rachel's character in any other book. They invade a gym or something that's your owned. She says, maybe someday Kirk and Kristen will get over the embarrassment of axes slicing off their gym shorts in front of their worshipful yuppie clients. Maybe. That is not necessary. No. And there are several other similar things that she says when they're doing the sort of mayhem plan mm-hmm. where they attack a hair salon and the receptionist faints clunk face down on the desk. It was pretty funny. Plus she used way too much hairspray. Yeah, there was okay, there was like there were the instances of sexual assault, which Ted you mentioned assaulting the the intern where she like this kid that she also says a lot of really Disdainful yeah. things He's about. He's a 17-year-old loser who joined the sharing to get a life. And what he'd gotten was a yerk in his head. Now he was Mr. Career Path and all. Mr. Responsibility. Mr. Self-importance in a pathetic, short-sleeved, white dress shirt and clip-on tie. Please. I thought it might be interesting to make a photocopy of his butt. Send it to his boss. Tack a second copy up on the break room bulletin board. So I did. What? what? That's, that's just thrown in there as like, yeah, we're causing all this chaos. Like... I think they were aiming for humor, maybe. It is... They missed. Cruel. It is ridiculous. It is sexual assault. It's just... And it's also like, I'm not going to lie, like, I don't know. This seems like a good reason to get a yerk. This poor kid, like, <laughs> no one liked him. He didn't have any friends. And now he's got a job and he's looking forward in his life and he's doing good things. And then this asshole bear walks in, makes a photocopy of his butt and says, what's wrong with this book? There's a lot wrong with it. So you mentioned the hair salon. Like, there was so much misogyny in this book. Like, we talked about <laughs> the Rachels who are failing phys ed for some obscure reason. There's also the thing, they go into the beauty salon and someone says, eek. Oh, yeah, this is a beauty salon, Marco said. Eek, what am I, a mouse? Oh, yeah, because beauty salons are filled with women who are shallow and therefore, you know, say stupid things like eek. The bored airhead receptionist didn't even look up. They visit a judge who's a controller. Who? I'm sorry, what is the judge's what is her name? name? I'll, I'll read it, but that's not why I'm reading it. Judge Sally Forensic was, on most occasions, a distinguished-looking older woman. On this particular afternoon, bawling and crawling under her big maple desk, black robes hiked around her knees, she didn't look terribly deserving of respect. This narrative is disgusting. It's so awful. It's so offensive to, like, everyone. Like, like, every human. Every single human in this, it's awful. And you can cut this part, but right after that, they say... We avoided the police station, too many guns, even I knew it'd be too easy to get killed, and none of us wanted the accidental death of a real, hard-working human cop on our hands. Cops are the only people we respect in this book. What? No! I had that under 90s moments, actually. I mean, yeah. I also think that the humorous handling of sexual assault is very 90s. 
in terms of like that's that's fair game. Maybe, but like the in- just dripping like, disdain for everyone is not normal for yeah. these books. It's not normal for these books. It, it does kind of feel like talking about it now. It's almost like a. I don't know, like an 80s punk kid perspective, like all huh. kinds of authority. Not the cops thing, but like, it's like, oh yeah, you know, like nothing matters type Yeah, or feeling. like, I'm but too cool for this. So like this kid who used to be a loser and now he's a, now he's like got a job. What an asshole. Like I'll do, I'll do this thing because ha ha, right. he cares and I don't. But like, it's just, I'm a mighty hero warrior king and everyone else is inferior to me. Yeah, like if Rachel was one of the freaks on Freaks and Geeks, it's like a little closer <laughs> yeah. to this characterization. That's, right? a, that's a good comparison, except it's I hate this book so much, you guys. But it, it's not like Rachel doesn't have a part-time job on some weekends working at her mom's law firm where she puts on a like collared shirt, right? Wait, like, does she not? Does she? No, but I mean, like, oh. that's that's totally something Rachel would do, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, she, again, she's yeah. like this, this straight-edge student who's basically perfect. I I have one more classics-based rant. Oh, please. That sounds delightful. Probably enriching. <clears throat> so, in addition to my disdain for the way the concept of hubris is used in this book... I'd also like to take just a quick moment to discuss the phrase Hamlet complex. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought this up. Okay, that was, before you get into that, what a pathetic attempt at, like, anamorphs banter. And, yep. and Axe was like, what is this Hamlet complex? And Cassie was like, we'll tell you later. I was like, this isn't funny. What are you doing? It is not funny. The way they describe this is, so Marco and Rachel are having their debate about who's going to be in charge. Whatever. She says, uh, I'm the one who does hard and fast and relentless and reckless, Marco shot back, while you want to sit around and think every stupid little step to death. I spat, you've got a Hamlet complex, Marco. And then that comes up again later when they're basically, uh, Marco is is saying like, uh, he's trying to prevent her from rushing into the fight in, in the community center. And... So he says, because uh, I don't know if a macho warrior like you wants to be talking to me. I'm the one who thinks too much. I'm the boring one with the Hamlet complex. The one who says, gee, Rachel, don't you think we should take a look first? Okay. So I'm just going to pause here and talk about the phrase Hamlet complex uh-huh. in a book where the other classical reference is Oedipus Rex. Because Hamlet complex, not a thing. Oedipus complex, yes a thing. (laughs) Those are two very different ideas. What you're trying to tell me is not that he has a Hamlet complex, but rather that he's acting like Hamlet, who thinks too much and is too much in his head. Uh That is not called a Hamlet complex. (laughs) Do you know how I know this? Because Freud wanted to call the Oedipus complex the Hamlet complex. Really? Yes. Those two things are very closely linked. He wrote a book called Hamlet and Oedipus, where he talks about Hamlet having essentially an Oedipus complex. So that's a whole reading of Hamlet, where it's not about Hamlet thinks too much and is too much in his brain. <laughs> and is instead, Hamlet wants to sleep with his mom. That is not what's happening here. And if you're going to use phrases like this, I'm going to need you to, real fast, go to the library, find the encyclopedia, and read about it. Just once. Because this is the 90s. You can't Google it. I'm not telling you to Google it. What I am telling you is don't use words you don't understand. Because if you're going to talk about Hamlet complex in a book about Oedipus, I'm going to have a real hard time. Great. It's even worse than that. The reason why it's a Hamlet complex is that so Marco can have the really, really, really stupid comeback of, no, there's a method to my madness. Yup. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're right. 
I hate aneurysm. <laughs> right? I just want you to know, I'm so happy right now. This is like the level of rant that I was hoping for out of this episode. <laughs> because this book is the worst thing ever written. I have such trouble with this book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nope. Yep. <laughs> Again, Rachel's super well-read. She's not going to make a mistake like this. I mean, to be fair, I didn't know about the Freud context of Hamlet Complex. Maybe I should have gotten an encyclopedia on CD-ROM. That, he was also mean to it. He made a, Marco made a small child cry in a bookstore. I don't think he was trying Wait, to. Wait, yeah, what was that? He was in Morph. Why would you talk to a kid in Morph? Oh my gosh. Morph, right? There was also all these things about Marco wanting to steal things, which has never been an element to his character before. I didn't even notice that. No, and there were several things where Rachel was like, no, Marco, you can't steal that thing. He's like, I like these sketchers. And she's like, no. Like, where is this coming from? And the first thing that he wants to steal is a Teletubby toy. (laughs) (laughs) That did lead to one of the other things I loved, which was Axe quoting Teletubbies. (laughs) I I had, I want, I want Ted to read the Garatron dialogue and Axe's Teletubby. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we can do that. We can do that later. The whole, actually, the whole bookstore scene, I also had a real problem with because I'm just going to continue all of my rants. Please. Um, this is, this is great. Uh, so they go to the TV studio first. The second one is a bookstore. And she, uh, Rachel says, the raid was a success. End of story. Now we have a schedule. Next stop, bookstore. And I went, just went, no, what are you going to do? <laughs> and what they're going to do is they go to a local bookstore. They demorph from birds and morph into their battle morphs. Marco makes no a joke about... No detail on how that works. Right. Well, they're in an alley. Oh, okay. All right. Someone grabbed me a la-la doll while we're inside, okay? Actually, side note. They're in, like, California, right? Yeah. Yeah, California doesn't really have a lot of alleys. Oh. Thing. Anyway, <laughs> someone grabbed me a la-la doll while we're inside, okay, Marco said. Fine. And then they are ripping apart a local bookstore. They are dumping things on the floor. He knocks over several racks of children's books. They uh, trash the magazines. Cassie, by the way, says bookstores are like church or something. Accurate. That's how I feel about them. <laughs> it felt weird coming from her in that moment. Yes. But yeah, it felt like something maybe they added in after when they're like, wait, this is weird that we're trashing a bookstore. Yeah. Hundreds of arts, oversized art books and fancy address books and biographies about some some boy who was a star for about a minute went piling on Scorn. So much scorn. What is this? So much scorn. And then this little boy... In the children's section is watching a gorilla destroy the local library or local bookstore. And he says, the little boy, bless his heart, (laughs) says, look, mommy, it's Curious George. This child is not currently freaking out about the large animals (laughs) destroying the bookstore where he presumably was having a nice outing with his mother. Uh And he's still like, look, a monkey. And Marco turns on him. Hey, little dude, I'm a gorilla. Curious George is a monkey. Lady, you should buy your kid an encyclopedia. How about investing in a CD-ROM version? Zillions Magazine, the Consumer Report for Kids Rates, and the child starts crying and says, Wah, Curious George is mean. And the kid's mother dropped her knees through Like, I, d- <laughs> I don't understand anything that's happening here. The, You're right. Marco would, would not do that. No. Uh, that is a very bad choice. It is such a bad choice. He's obviously not going to be talking to these people. Also, they were really stretching for their comedy in this one because it turns out they can't write it. Yeah. Why are you having this whole side conversation about, like, get your child an encyclopedia to explain the difference instead of being like, 
hey, you have an, a small child in a bookstore <laughs> that we're currently destroying. Would you like to perhaps leave <laughs> so as to be safe? So they make this huge deal about like, oh, no, we're causing a ruckus in front of this studio audience in the TV studio. Uh-huh. Then they rip up a bookstore in front of a small child. Uh-huh. They don't care. There's not even a mention of What is that? I don't. This book don't. is nonsense and drivel, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah. There were two bear puns. Maybe that's the <laughs> level of humor that they've got. I did pick up. I've only picked up on one bear pun. Right um, after that, she wraps the controller in a bear hug. Oh. And later she's morphing into her battle morph and she There's, says the morph is bearable. Yeah, I, I noticed that one. Just, I'm not sure it's intentional, but while we are picking on this book, in the uh the second page, right? So <laughs> ableism has been a continuous uh issue for this series. Mm-hmm. Um the, during the exposition about what Yurks are. You have to fight off the invaders because it's a fate worse than death. Total subservience to a mind-controlling master race. You know what really infuriates me? This powerful enemy doesn't even stand on its own two feet. What really infuriates you isn't that they take over other people's minds, Rachel? This is what infuriates you? She probably also has this level of scorn for, like, humans with disabilities. Yeah. She, She hates everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She's out of control. <laughs> Why? Okay, so I did have a few things on my list of things I almost like. Okay. I think we've mentioned two of them. I liked Visser 3, like, baking on how tough it is to kill the Andalite bandits. Although this was a pale imitation of the internecine politics in Book 5, which mm-hmm. worked a lot better. I liked when Jake's mask came down and Rachel saw that, like... It was the face of a terrified kid on the edge of tears. Mm-hmm. And then he puts the mask up and is like, I don't think about it. He lied. Mm-hmm. Although that was also weird because it was like, I was seeing my face when I realized the old man had died. And I was like, you you weren't looking at your face then. What? Fine. And the other thing I liked was her brief acknowledgement that being a leader is mostly about other people. Being the kind of hero I was born to be. The kind of hero I discovered myself to be since this war started was a lot about me. That's a good acknowledgement. Too bad it didn't inform any of the rest of the book. No. I have one other thing. Um, Marco uses the snake morph again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she describes it, a whip and a mouth that contained fangs and sacks of deadly poison. Kind of the perfect morph for Marco when you thought about it. <laughs> that is great. I didn't notice that. <laughs> Oh, I have to share one completely ridiculous moment that was really something. Oh, yeah. So they're having this debate about whether they should go into the community center. And Rachel says, I looked around my wary group of feathered warriors, imagined a hugely grinning, glittery-eyed, adrenaline-soaked look on my own human face. To be clear, she's in morph right now. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine... That the ghostwriter described her face like this, and Apple Grant went through and was like, she's in morph right now. Um, she imagines the look on her face that she would have if she were human right now. And then, like, the next paragraph, Marco cups his hand around his ear, and they throw in an, he's almost completely demorphed at this point. Like, they completely lost track of what mm-hmm. form anyone was in. They didn't have time to actually... Yeah. right around their mistakes and they're just like uh he demorphed real fast and now he's almost demorphed great yeah it's truly awful it's abysmal really all right so 
we've been giving Rachel a hard time about her mantra, hero, mm-hmm. warrior, king. But yeah. I'm really curious if you all had to pick a three-word mantra for yourselves, <laughs> what would you pick? Something that oh. really, like, keeps you going when oh, you start no. to doubt yourself. Oh, oh, no. I think you need to answer first. <laughs> oh, yeah. I should have prepared one. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Um... So does it have to be, like, three things that describe us? Or can it be, like, you know, just keep swimming? <laughs> no, I think I think it has to be, it has to be three, three things that describe you in, like, a self-aggrandizing way. Uh, oh, man. Maybe we can come up for with one for anamorphology. <laughs> oh, I like that. Interesting. Problematic. <laughs> <Drink>. <laughs> That's our subtitle. There we go. (laughs) All right. That was too easy. That's great. That's really good. That was very good. Listeners, please write in with your three word mantra (laughs) for yourself or for anamorphology. Um, I had one other small thing that I liked. Please go. Jake says, How many anamorphs were there when you started? And she says, Six. Oh, oh, you're right. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> you that... imagine if she had said five in the Andalite. Okay, so now things that this has in common with my version of 37. Marco uses the cobra again and acts as an anamorph. Yes. <laughs> and they acquire the cheetahs off screen. And they acquire the cheetahs off screen. Three things. <laughs> I think that's enough. That's enough commonality. Um, are, is it time to go to Nani's moments? I really don't feel the need to dwell on this book. Okay. I want to hear you recite the Garatron dialogue. Oh, okay. Actually, okay, I actually want to describe what the Garatron looks yeah, like. Yeah, the Garatron description was Because cool. it's yeah. wacky. The thing made me think of pulled taffy, or of a cartoon depiction of speed. You know, where the cartoon character's skin stretches as he strides faster and faster until his skeleton runs right out of his skin suit. <laughs> That's where this thing belongs in right. a cartoon. Where the impossible is possible. Okay. I should have put that on my list. <laughs> uh, about as tall as a gazelle, four lanky skinny legs, a thin but strong looking tail, as long as its body that flicked and twitched even when the creature's legs weren't moving. A pigeon chest, high and rounded. A head shaped like a custom-made aerodynamic bike racing helmet. Tight curved face, like, a, like half a smooth ball. Skull that swept back from the rim of this ball into a pointy triangle. Like an ice cream cone on its side. Except the cone was flattened. But what really caught and held my attention was the fact that this thing was covered in blue fur and had no mouth and sported two thin, weak-looking arms. So yeah, it's, it's a bizarre and delight. Yeah. It goes really fast, and it has super fast thought speak. Um, the words became clear a beat after the creature had stopped speaking. A time delay between sound and meaning. Kind of like when you talk on the phone to someone in Europe. <laughs> Or any other continent, I guess. <clears throat> I didn't notice that. That's a pathetic amazing. display, Mr. Three. You were chased down on a planet you should have long ago conquered. This will go to my notes, you can be sure. And Mr. Sneers back. You too failed to capture the Andalite bandits, Inspector. The Visser sneered loudly. Depart who was your duty and responsibility? Am I enjoying watching you fail? Finally, you'll address me as Council 13, Visser. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a member of the Council yet. Not until you have received final approval, the Visser stated flatly. Nah! <laughs> The inspector made a sound that could have been a lot. High and trilling. A sound that sent chills up my temporary human spouse like a horse. <laughs> I began to specify on a four new most capable host species. The Garatron. I don't know how many tails 
Wow. That's really good. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to when people listen to our podcast on like three times speed. And um, <laughs> But it also occurs to me, if he's talking this fast, I bet he also has a really high pitched voice. So oh, that might oh my God. Really high uh, do I have to do it again? Yes. <laughs> Just the last one. <clears throat> or pick your favorite. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Excellent. So, I... Wait, so I well, actually, I almost like, so this is another weird parallel. The Garatron is kind of filling a Soraya-like role in that there's this, like, advisor yeah, to this yeah, three true. person, right? But I kind of like Who the wants idea. To be on the I, I really do like the Yurk internecine politics, and I would have loved, a, a like, a, a sensible story about, like, someone jockeying to be on the council. Because like, we just had two Visser people get killed on the council. Yeah. The council, you know, like, it would be super interesting. That would interesting, be really fun. You know, it, total wasted opportunity. Garatron's terrible. Yeah. And is that like a separate species that they're now using as hosts? Are there going to be a bunch of these? Like what? Well, are they related to Andalites? Ominously, in the last chapter, Rachel says, you know, like the Garatron was gone, but maybe yeah. we hadn't seen the last of them. Thankfully, we have seen the last of them. <laughs> Nothing from this book is ever important or ever comes back again. Maybe they allude to that one time Jake was out of town, but like mm-hmm. really, it's it's super forgettable. Great. Is that because it's not really canon? Yeah, we'll Perfect. get there. Okay, all right. 90s moments, though. Wait, no, real fast before that. Oh, okay. Uh, there was a moment where I thought that the Jake-Rachel comparison was sort of a Visser 1, Visser 3 comparison. Ooh. Where Jake is you know, a, a little more strategic about these things. And Rachel at one point says, we've taken it and taken it and barely fought back. Now they're scared and they'll be more scared soon. Should have done this a long time ago. And I thought that's a very Visser 3 approach mm. of like, we should just go in and break shit and like terrorize people and go big. And Jake has a much more kind of the subtle approach, which mm-hmm. struck me as very like Visser 1 versus Visser 3, trying yeah. to invade the earth. Okay, 90s moments. We had a NASCAR reference. Yeah, we did. This was traction Jeff Gordon would envy. I had to look up who Jeff Gordon was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Do you guys know which season of Friends Rachel is talking about in the first page when she says, what's up with Rachel's stringy hair? I don't know. So if this is... This no, don't is think the- about when it came out. <laughs> I want to know from the description of the stringy hair. I, I don't. I don't remember Rachel's hair evolution. So probably not the first. The first The first few she had, the Rachel, that right. was like that. But yeah, it's definitely after the Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. So probably when she's like working for Ralph Lauren. I was going to say, yeah. Actually, I was going to say season seven. I think season seven is too late for so this. Late. This would be about season five in terms of when this came out. Okay, so uh, Jeff Gordon. There's uh-huh. the Teletubbies. There's Blue's Clues. Yeah, yeah. There was a Skechers reference again. Mm-hmm. I was, was very happy that Cassie said, don't mess with Blue. Despite <laughs> the fact that she had... Maybe Cassie... <laughs> we know that Cassie's a bad liar. <laughs> maybe she loves Blue's Clues. And she's like, my niece. Okay, made up what? a niece. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and Rachel, who's known Cassie for like her entire mm-hmm. life, doesn't notice that suddenly Cassie has a sibling. Mm-hmm. When the Garatron is circling Cassie the polar bear... He's compared to Jim Carrey in The Mask. Yes, I was going to make Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, when Marco tells them to get the encyclopedia, he suggests the CD-ROM version. Uh-huh. There was a reference that I thought was a reference, and then I was like, oh, wait, this could not chronologically have been a reference. So this came out in 99, and they're they're in the TV studio, and there's a anchor named 
Christine Kaminsky. And then there was another one named Bobby Baranski. And I was like, do they just like Christine Baranski? <laughs> and then a couple pages later, it's like, yeah, you take Miss Sunshine. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then I looked up the Chicago movie and it came out after this. And I was okay. like, how is that possible? But okay. Huh. That's very weird. Did she play it on Broadway or something also? I don't know. Maybe she did. I'm putting it on record that I love Christine Baranski. Oh, yeah. Much better than this book. And there's a bunch of like 90s references because the 90s were a different time and we were less aware of mm-hmm. privilege and so on. So there's the ableism. There's the cops the are cops, good, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment where Marco asks her if she's on medication. Yeah, the casual treatment of sexual assault. Yep, all of these yeah, things are very, very 90s moments, unfortunately. Ugh. I'm, st- I'm still so mad about the hubris thing. Just I'm so mad about this entire book. This is the worst one, though, right, guys? I think it probably is. So the thing is, I think it probably is too. But like, it's not the it's not the later series Animorphs books that I'm like dreading reading. This was like this was the most disappointing so far. Okay, yeah, yeah. There there are at least two more that I expect to not like, but I I don't think that they are actually as poorly executed as this. Okay. Yeah, this was really shockingly poorly executed. Like. I think maybe it does credit to the series as a whole that this is so shocking, that the characterizations are so poor, that the plot is so incoherent. Like, it really has set a high standard for itself, and this is just so far below it. That's a good point. What a great silver lining (laughs) for me having to read this. So one random thing, when Rachel is talking about how what her feelings for Tobias are, She's like, super strong feelings, the kind you can't help. And I was like, who would want to help having feelings for Tobias? <laughs> Tobias is perfect. Yeah, actually, that was that was a weird that was a weird thing. Yeah, I didn't like that. Also at one point, Chapman, I think, takes a swipe at Tobias and Rachel is like, bad mistake, something like that. And I was like, <laughs> that is hilarious. Do not mess with Rachel's damsels. So I did discover when I was at my parents' house over the holidays, I found a notebook where I printed out some of the reviews that I, super cool 14-year-old that I was, posted on, like, Animorphs fan sites. Oh, my God. Yay. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can I read the first line of this out loud? (laughs) Yes. Morphing is certainly more fun than Sega. You can soar as an eagle and walk (laughs) as a cat. Sega? Sega? Sega. This is is, from the, uh, the official scholastic description of The Visitor. Book two. This, this is, is amazing. I yeah. love that you printed these pages <laughs> from that website. Yeah. So <laughs> I need to read you guys this. I need to read you guys the uh, the thirty seven. What font is that in, Jenny? It's in comics. Yeah, it is. <laughs> my favorite font in ninth grade. Okay. <laughs> this is my review of thirty seven. I feel the need to preface this with my conclusion upon reading much like almost all of what I wrote in ninth grade is that the most unrealistic thing about Animorphs is how not annoying the characters are. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because the scene where Rachel cries and like howls at the moon in anger, I was like, you know what? This is probably how most teens would react to situation. <laughs> We're just spoiled by them being very mature and not annoying teens. I we need us to have a new segment at the end of each Animorphology recording where Jenny reads her review. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, think I have them of every book, but when we have, I do it. have thirty-eight. Yeah. 
Okay, so we get two of them. 37. And I have like a, a summary word in parentheses after each one. This is bad with four exclamation points. <laughs> Excellent Accurate. restraint. Yes, Keeping well it to four. Uh-huh. It says a lot about ninth grade Jenny. I also don't think I hated it as much as I did this time around. Sure. Pathetic. That's mm-hmm. all I can say. Pathetic. Who wrote that book? It was even more amateur than some of the first Animorphs books K.A. wrote. It was rushed and half-hearted, only the minimum of detail given. Many passages sounded like they'd merely been pulled from other Animorphs books and changed a little to suit this one. I'd really been looking forward to 37, because I tend to like Rachel books, but I was let down big time. It was all action and battle scenes. I tend to find those very boring. Um, that is not the problem with this book, Ninth Grade Jenny, but okay. With Rachel portrayed as ruthless and inept, kind of like Visser 3. Accurate. (laughs) And now, this is very 14-year-old Jenny. The only good scene was right after finding out that Cassie had been captured when Rachel cried. Aww. It's the emotional scenes that I like. You guys, I... 14-year-old Jenny was a different person. (laughs) But she writes very good reviews. (laughs) Did you ever run out of your childhood home and slap your thighs and growl at the sky? (laughs) And if not, why not? You know, I don't have a specific recollection of ever doing that, but I can't swear that I never did. So there was hardly any romance whatsoever between Rachel and Tobias, and naturally not between Cassie and Jake. I suppose the ending wasn't bad, but it could have been done a lot better. Overall, this was definitely not one of the better Animorphs books. Just the opposite, in fact. (laughs) A plus review, well done. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so... You tell it like it is. Yeah. I also have... I don't know how much we want to actually have this in the podcast, but there are... Apparently, I wrote a lot of letters to Kay Applegate because you could, like, submit things on the Scholastic website, and I copied a lot of them (gasps) into my diary. I do have several of the letters that I wrote. Was one after 37? Yes. Several of them were after 37 because I was very, very mad. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. This is amazing. (laughs) So my initial reaction to 37. So I had been hoping to get it for Christmas, and I did not. I was was sad. But I went to the bookstore shortly after and got it. And uh, my initial reaction was like, I hadn't really processed it all, and it was very focused. It was... (laughs) I say, guess what? I got 37. When the heck is KAA going to address the Rachel Tobias issue? <laughs> That's what I cared about. Wait, I was what like, is, I want what no, issue? What is the issue? Just like I want more romance, I okay. think was what uh, I was saying. Because, okay. yeah. I think that would have been a very good ending for 37. So you wrote it to, you wrote it to Scholastic about K.A. Applegate. Well, there's, so this is, this is the diary entry. I think oh, at some okay, point okay, I'm okay, like, okay. I'm just going to turn this, in, I'm just going to submit some of this. Got it, got it. Later on, I said, you know what? I think I should send this whole diary entry to K.A. Applegate, all two pages of it, and see what she thinks. <laughs> That's a very long length of thing to write, apparently. Absolutely. <laughs> but if I did that, I'd have to add one thing. Please, please, please do something for Rachel. Something needs to happen that will make her come to terms with herself and change, or at least start to change for the better. I clearly misunderstood that what was happening was just complete character assassination. <laughs> that, but the thing is... I think it never would have occurred to me that this was like a bad Animorphs book. Mm-hmm. I think I would just take it as gospel and like, yeah. even though it upsets yeah. me, incorporate it into my understanding of the characters, right? Like, Yeah, that's the tragedy of this book. <sighs> I just want to say that I imagine that 14-year-old Jenny would be super happy to know that <laughs> she went on to completely replace 
this terrible Rachel oh, book. It's definitely with a Rachel true. book of her own creation. That is so much better. There is definitely a thing in here. I think I sent it to you, Ted. Oh, yeah. So this is a later diary entry about how it seems to me that Anwar's books are getting lesser, which was really a blow to the soul of young Chetty. The main point is that everything's done in a rush, and what you get out of it is a half-hearted, cheap book that I no longer want to read over and over like I did with the first ones I read. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's different ghostwriters. I absolutely loved 33, but I thought 37 was, well, wimpy. It could have been done so much better. I'm not saying that I necessarily could have done it better. Uh, <laughs> but you And you did. I could not have at this time. I could not have done it. But now I feel that I've, like, avenged 14-year-old Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. She'd be psyched, I'm sure. Yes. I'll send this book back to her through time. So has it come time for us to make our final ruling oh, about book 37? You know, there's a lot of suspense about it. I just don't know which way I'm going to go. I might need to hear some more arguments. Um, so great. I don't know if you're if you're in on this this proposal, but I think it's a very important matter for the the council to discuss. Okay. Which is should thirty seven, the one that we just talked about in air quotes, okay. be officially stricken from canon? Okay. Do we rule yay or nay? Yay, yay, yay! Strike it. Unanimous. It's so gone. stricken. Let's never wow. speak again. Great. All right. That second gone. Second Phew. motion. Motion to add. <laughs> The 37 that Jenny wrote to canon. I'm not sure I can vote on this. I feel like I'm not, I'm not uh, objective. I mean, I I might need to abstain from the vote. Yay. Yay. Unanimous. Okay. Council has. (laughs) It's not unanimous. No, it's unanimous. Okay. Two yays and one abstention. Council has ruled. It is too bad that they never mentioned the events of Real 37 again in the series. Yeah. And they do kind of backtrack some of the character growth that they go through. Yeah. But it's still... Of writers, you know. You know it's it's great that we have it and we um, don't have... I mean, there's yeah, no well, other option. Right, exactly. <laughs> now that it's, I'm now still that it's glad that we have the real 37 as it makes me very happy. Yeah. We have an official ruling now. This is this is the truth. Well done. Yeah. Should I predict 38? Yeah. Am yeah, I allowed let's... to look at 38? <laughs> yeah, you're allowed look, to look at the cover. You can look at, you can look at the cover. You can look at the inside. Okay. Apparently, I really liked 38. I don't have a very clear memory. I looked at, like, the so. first chapter. It seems incredibly competently written. <laughs> so. It seems normal and not horrifying. Yeah. Okay. Boy, have our, our standards, standards have fallen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, oh, yikes. What do we got? Okay, it's 38. Okay, so uh, it's, a, it's an axe book. Okay. I had a brief moment of confusion where I thought, wait, is this an axe book? And he's morphing into a bird, or is this a Tobias book? And he's morphing into an Andalite because, frankly, <laughs> it could go either way. Uh, but it's an axe book, and it's called The Arrival. He is morphing into a bird of some sort on mm-hmm. the front, and the little subtext thing is: Andalites have reached Earth. Will axe leave the Animorphs? <gasps> Ooh, I feel like the subtext is getting more helpful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, and the inside cover is just a bird above a parking lot. It's super not useful. Um, except there is a blue VW bug, which I feel like we saw a controller with a VW bug and Marco had to lift it up as a gorilla at one point. It was maybe in a Megamorphs book that he, like, lived. That happened in, um, 31. Yeah, okay. it was, like, the inside cover image. I don't remember it actually happening in 31. Yeah, oh, yeah maybe he didn't actually. Oh, when he was messing with the cars in the parking lot. Right, yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Anyway, um, okay, so, uh, well, I'm going to just base my entire prediction off of this cut text thing. It seems legit. 
So the arrival is the arrival of the Andalites. Mm -hmm. I suspect that they are not coming in force because, Mm -hmm. as we learned in Visser, they are debating whether to Mm. send the full weight of the Andalite uh, fleet to Earth or to the other place. The Anadi. The the Anadi planet. Yes, thank you. So maybe this is like another scout ship that's tra- coming to like see what's happening, mm-hmm. take mm-hmm. stock of the invasion, and then decide, help the fleet decide which place to go to. And the, you know, big drama is going to be Axe deciding whether he is going to go back to the Andalite homeworld with this scout ship or stay and fight with the Animorphs. And he is obviously going to stay and fight with the Animorphs. What's he okay. tempted by? Seeing his family again. And having oh. other Andalites around. Oh, yeah. So he's not by himself in the woods watching TV. Oh. <laughs> not by he, himself. He decides to stay. He decides to stay, yes. Because he wants to hang out with his shorm, Tobias, and continue to find out what happens on The Young and the Restless. Oh, very important. Yeah. So the Andalites come. Do they get involved in the fight? There is one scene where they have a tiff with Visser Three and his forces, mm-hmm. and then they leave. Do the Animorphs acquire them so they can be Andalites without being sextuplets? What a great question. No, because that would be too intelligent. <laughs> be a good decision, and they don't do yeah, this. Yeah, that uh, seems yeah. right. I don't I don't remember but which way it goes, but I feel like you're probably right. Yeah. And there's going to be some sort of cultural misunderstanding at some point. <laughs> nice. That's all so, I got. Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up. Do we want Grey to make a bingo card for the rest of the series? Oh, I love this idea. I think we should. (laughs) If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs eBooks on our website. Give us two a five-minute episode. We lost our footage, but we hated it. By five minutes, I mean five seconds. That's it. That's the end.